Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am sitting here in dining room studios with the one and only Cameron Esposito of Take My Wife, of Put Your Hands Together, formerly of uh, the AV Club column. And that's true. Forthcoming book, right? That's right. You got, you got it all right. The album Marriage Material. I wrote that. I wrote that and performed it. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, what am I missing? There's two other albums, uh, but yeah. the pressure, the pressure right now is making me forget. No, it's that, okay. No, wait, same sex same symbol sex is one yes. of them. And something Grab aghast. Grab them aghast is one of them. But I mean, I should know that. You don't have to know that. <laughs> it's better it's if I know it, It's not part of though. your... Do you usually name all of your guests and albums and things they've done? I mean, in that case, which late night shows have I been on? Leno. Nope. That's not true. I wasn't. I wasn't on. Oh, there's, I was a, on there's a story. Craig Ferguson, but Leno was there. Very close. Okay. I would say Hancock Park adjacent. <laughs> Cut that out so they don't know where I live. <laughs> say your exact address. But wait, you have. So th- I know there's a, there's a story you have involving Leno, though. Is that is what you just said? Part yeah. Of the story. Okay. Yes. All right. You've also done Conan. True. Um, you really don't Jimmy have Fallon. to guess I'm just all. guessing now. I, I was like on James Corden. You've done all of them. I've done a lot of Come stuff. Come on, someone of your stature, you've done all of them. <laughs> yeah, someone of, <laughs> hey, someone that's 5'4 has done a lot of shows. <laughs> I was watching Take My Wife and I was wondering how tall you are because you make reference to being small. Yeah, I, well, I think when you're a performer, um, and I usually do like theaters and, and rock clubs and I only say that because the stage is even then like a little bit higher mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like at a comedy club sometimes the stage is a little bit more at level with the audience so that's just something i get all the time when people meet me like after they've already seen me right like they've just saw me on stage and then if i meet them afterwards they're like oh you're a very small person and how do you I, feel about that do you feel good about that no i feel fine i think it means that my presence is <laughs> large um yes. and i just i'm just kind of tiny i'm kind of like a a little bit of a chihuahua in a and also my my wife ria is kind of tall-ish for a woman she's like five, how tall is she? nine or five eight that's not mm-hmm. that tall but it's like we look it's like i look too small short to model. yeah yeah i look small next to her like right. in a photo i look small yes yeah yes um well now i know because that was i would not say that was the main question i had but it was like the wife. first 20 or 30 minutes of <laughs> right. the show that of our podcast yes. today was going to be like how tall is your wife how right. tall are you you know like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the important stuff yes. i want the audience to get a real feel for who you are as a person <laughs> And I think that the best way to get into that is by talking about your height. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also do want to ask at some point whether you had a strong Midwestern accent, but I don't want to start with that. Let's get to that later. Do you think I have one now? No, I don't. Okay, actually, let me amend that. I don't think you have one. However, listening to your stand-up, sometimes when you get more boisterous, I do hear it. And I wonder, are you, is that happening just by itself or is that... Because it's funny to you. No, it's for sure not anything I'm ever putting on. It's It happens a couple times in the show. 
take my wife that you're talking about there are some moments where I just like and I didn't train myself out of it either I just I went to school in Boston Mm -hmm. and then I lived there for a couple years after grew up in Chicago grew up in Chicago went to school in Boston then came back to Chicago and then now I live in California and so that's just like a mix of different accents but there is a moment and it's even in the trailer for the show where I'm like I'm a comic like the way that I (laughs) I hit it so hard it is it's real it's a real thing that's happening it's coming out real hard it's funny because um fans of my show will know who I'm talking about so I do there's the Monday show which is a one-on-one like this and then the Thursday show which is the panel and there's this guy Al on the panel show who's from Chicago does not have a strong accent but when he raises his voice it comes out it's very very similar to your your situation your childhood self right i mean that's who's yelling yeah when you're a comic and you're when you're a comic (laughs) when you're a comic and you're on stage uh you know it's like your primal self when you're most ramped up it's like you're making amends for all the terrible things that happened to you (laughs) when you were too small uh to fight for your own self so oh what did happen to you Oh, I mean, I just feel like everything happened to everybody, right? Didn't everybody have a thing? I think so. I mean, in the universe, I don't just mean in entertainment. Um, because I do I do hate when people talk about mental illness and like therapy having a specific relationship with comedy because mm-hmm. I think we're all really on a spectrum of needing to <laughs> I investigate what's going on with us and try to work for a healthier state of mind and Mm -hmm. some people are dealing with more than others. Um, I just think it's a really easy way of diminishing mental illness actually is to just be like, these people are all in the same group and they're all dealing with the same thing and it's sadness. Like, no, there's complexity. Um, But, you know, when I was a kid, I was a little gay kid growing up in the suburbs of Chicago and I also had an eye patch because Mm -hmm. I had crossed eyes for my entire childhood. So I was a kid with crossed eyes and an eye patch and a bowl cut. doesn't, didn't know why she wanted to be Charlie Chaplin for every <laughs> Halloween. So just like, you know, right? Life, childhood, life is well, rough. I did not have an eye patch, and I wasn't a lesbian, but I definitely didn't feel like I fit in. So I don't. I do think a lot of that is universal. Well, I would love to hear from the first person in the universe that ever says that they fit in. Right? Like, who is that person? <laughs> right? Who is the person that? Because even the. You know, whatever people you thought bullied you or whatever people you thought were more comfortable Mm. in their skin. Oh, like a specific list is coming to my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a rotating... How the world works is and how life works is, I think, is like, it's just actually a rotating moment that you feel comfortable. Like, they Mm. might have felt comfortable when they were six and you felt like a goon, or they might have felt comfortable when they were 12 and you felt awkward, but... Here you are now and you're owning your life and I'm sure you feel great about yourself mm-hmm. in some days and maybe they don't. So it's just like we're all, hey, everybody gets the shit in the end. How do you feel about the fact that Meryl Streep was prom queen though? That does that sits wrong with me because I feel like what you're talking about, the rotating thing, which I like and I want that to be the case. And by the way, it's not like I wake up every day and I'm like, oh, Meryl Streep, she got to be popular in high school. And look at her now. <laughs> I don't think about it often. However, when I found out, I was like, wait a minute, this goes totally against what I want want to believe about life, which is that if you're like winning in high school, then that's when you peak. Well, to that, I would say Meryl Streep is a woman who is in her, is she in her 60s? 
No, I don't actually know, but that feels right. Feels right. Mm-hmm. Um, she's had a very long career in Hollywood. I'm sure Meryl Streep got hers. Like, okay, you're, you're right. right. You're right. I'm sure. I'm sure she was prom queen, and that that was really great. And also, she's one of our most beloved actors. But I bet if we like really knew her and we sat her down, we were like, right. "Hey, what's the shit that?" people have said to you when you did or didn't get parts how many people told you your body needed to look different hey what have you what's been the feedback on your nose (laughs) like i I feel like we would get her pain yeah i'm gonna have her on next week yeah yeah, and i will ask all these questions but have her respond in song she's got a beautiful voice (laughs) she really does she really does um okay so cross-eyed through your childhood eye patch was the eye patch so one eye would become stronger or did i read that you had surgery i did a couple surgeries yeah yeah, what you do is when you have a weak eye muscle, the doctors will put a patch on the strong eye so mm-hmm. that your like lazy eye has to work harder and be less lazy. <laughs> uh, and so that happened. Um, and sometimes that can cure things for people. It did work mm-hmm. because I'm, I didn't lose vision in my eye. Like I'm not blind in one eye. Um, and then I also had glasses for the same issue to try and like balance out the eye strength and then had surgery when I was two um, and that helped as well. And then it just was like a longer, it was many treatments. Right. It wasn't just a treatment. It was many treatments over many years. And it sounds like it, you probably don't remember a time before that was part yeah, of your no, reality. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't really remember a time before that was part of my reality. And then it was also, it's less a part of my reality now. Mm-hmm. I had my last surgery for it when I was 20. And before then it was like very much a part of my daily life. Like, um, if I was sick or tired, it would cross a lot. Like you would have known about it if we were friends mm-hmm. versus I think I have a lot of friends now that I think probably don't know that this is a thing. A thing. Yeah. Um, and th- one thing that that affects is um, your ability to look people in the eye. Mm-hmm. Eye contact is so important when your eyes don't look the same direction. People don't know how to make eye contact with you. And then I had like a lot of shame about looking people in the eye for prolonged periods of time as well. Mm-hmm. Um even though, I mean, I also like would go to school get dances when it was crossed just because sometimes it couldn't help it. And I was on the swim team and I was yeah. exhausted. So I would just go. Um, yeah, but it like affects, so it affects my, my like making eye contact. And also when you have something that's going on facially, sometimes people can't tell like what it is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people would think that I had special needs mm-hmm. that were beyond just eyeballs um and so that was like a part of my reality right um and then i think the other thing is just like vision like i would fall because i would see double so i would just uh fall down a lot or be hurt a lot because i couldn't tell like where doors were so i would just like walk into doors how did you feel about it as a kid do you remember i mean i think i just felt like well i think i just felt like i I mean, I know it's the reason I'm funny because mm-hmm. you just have to do something. Like if you're going to be a kid with something that's really visually different than what everybody else you know has going on, like nobody else I knew was wearing an eye patch. Mm-hmm. So uh, you just have to, you have to, you got to like, you got to sink or swim. So I like learned how to make jokes about it and mm-hmm. learned how to just kind of keep people laughing and engaged with what was going on. I think it also... I mean, I think in some ways it made me more shy. Like sometimes social situations can be hard for me because I'm like an introvert. But Mm -hmm. I think it also made me louder. 
as a distraction technique. Right. Well, actually, I was reading, um, I think it was your your final AV Club column, and you said, quote, I'm a friendly, outgoing introvert, um, which I related to so strongly. And you're talking about how your wife is actually a quiet extrovert. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, that's totally true. I think people really assume the opposite of me. Um, and I am like a really private person, and I, I really do well with like going on really, I go on really long hikes. Like mm-hmm. I have to walk myself like a dog. <laughs> I take my dog with me um, and I walk myself to just like clear my brain so that I can talk to people. Like a party is a nightmare for me. I would much prefer to talk to 20,000 people from a stage mm-hmm. than to talk to four people that I don't know. Um, but Rhea, my wife, is like much more just kind of chill than I am Um in a green room situation at a comedy show, she would just kind of like be part of the furniture in a good way. Like she just doesn't really assert her need to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's very easy to talk to, but she's very kind of in the background. And that being said, she like plays on a baseball team with a bunch of people. Cause that's her way of connecting with human beings or with, with clearing her mind is like going and doing something that sounds like so terrible to me, (laughs) which is that adult men are going to judge whether or not you hit a ball with a stick. Like that is, I really am glad I grew out of that, but she is in her thirties and still choosing to do this. So yeah, we're really different people. What do you like in a green room? Oh, um, I really believe strongly in this is going to sound so snotty but i really believe strongly in the hierarchy that exists in stand-up i think it's something that's actually really cool about Mm -hmm. about the field and that it's like a craft that you learn over time and the people that started ahead of you will always be ahead of you even if you become more famous than them even if you eclipse them financially like there is something to this like advancing um together based on when we started that I think is really cool we don't have that a lot these days like that's kind of something that is old timey mm-hmm. like I don't know I think about it like a like you're like a blacksmith or something like it's <laughs> right. like a trade that you learn with your hands holding a microphone and uh so in a green room I'm very respectful like I I like to talk to y- younger comics that doesn't mean age it means like duration of time mm-hmm. um in like a very encouraging and open way. And I like to talk to peers about the stuff that we're all doing. And then I like to stay out of the way of the people (laughs) who have been doing it longer. Are you intimidated by them? No, not intimidated, like super friendly and happy to talk to them, but much more like waiting for them to initiate Mm -hmm. contact because I just, it's like something I really believe in. It's such a weird old school thing, but I just really, cause comedy isn't, I'm really thinking about the model that existed prior to the internet Mm -hmm. you know like i started kind of prior to the internet really being a way that people could make their name now there are people who are like twitter comics and they got great jobs and they write for tv shows but like when i started that wasn't a thing yet so it really was like your exact positioning was like what city did you start in with what other comics Mm -hmm. name the three comics that you started with where are they do you know them now like everybody was so aware of their space in this web yeah it's all connected to each other how do you feel about how much it is changing i find it i find it well i'm really curious to see what's going to happen in 10 years because we're actually like in the middle of it Mm -hmm. i don't even think it's something you can have an opinion about right now because it's 
Like, we're this is the Wild West. Like, everything is different, and all the prior ways of doing things have been blown up, but nothing has replaced it fully. So, like, our show, Take My Wife, small budget, on a streaming service. People keep asking me, like, is it going to go to TV? And I'm like, actually, it's on TV because <laughs> uh, your TV is like a weird new TV where you can just choose what you watch remember and then people are like I don't get you know like so I mean the CISO exists because NBC and Universal wanted to create a place for their own shows to go as opposed to having to go to Hulu they don't own Hulu so they wanted to like make their own thing mm-hmm. where that's where Parks and Rec goes and then also new shows so it's fascinating. Like this is what we're in the br- we're in the middle of just everything being different. And like Snapchat shows? Do you know what I'm talking about? That there I, are like of, shows. Can I tell you as of yesterday on I know Snapchat. what you're talking about? I didn't literally did not know until yesterday that they are but it's like 5 to 7 minute like short form stuff, right? Yes, but, I had, but they have like writers that's weird rooms to me. Yeah. And they're put out by Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Or I just e heard about or this. whatever. Like these are real things. So it's very, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Or like um, I share a booking agent with a YouTube comic, I guess is the best way to say what she does. She does a character. That's the only Mm -hmm. reason. So she like a YouTube character, I guess, is what I would say about it. Um, Who is it? Or do you not want to say? I don't don't know that I want to. Well, I mean, actually, I'll just say, because I'm not going to say anything bad about her. Her name is Miranda Sings. I've heard of her. So I share a booking agent with her. When we're in the same town, she plays at like a venue that's one to two times like up the scale of venues in terms mm-hmm. of size. And people dress as her and go to the venue to watch her while they're dressed as her. And it's like, <laughs> I can't. I mean, we have the same booking agent like that. And that came through our trajectory. I don't. I know she's like a trained opera singer. I don't have any idea what her trajectory is beyond that, like what she was doing before making these YouTube mm-hmm. videos. I know that I started doing improv in college and then worked my way up and then worked at this theater and worked at that theater and then started doing stand-up and like featured and hosted and like I can't – like how is she ready to do a stage show? And I yeah. don't mean – I actually think she does really well. Like she sells bonkers amounts of tickets and I think it goes really well. What I'm actually curious about is like, why did it take me all those steps? Like, what does she know that I don't know? Um, yeah, like I and um, what will she do next? You know, I think she's got she has a Netflix show in development. Well, good for her. It's amazing. Is she young? so? Like, what will happen with that Netflix show? Like, will that be a hit? And then what happens after your character has been a hit? But that's not you. Mm-hmm. Do you do another show, or do, or then do you just start again with a with like under your own name? I mean, it's this is all mind blowing, isn't it? Yes, yes, um, yeah. I have just actually lately I've been thinking a lot about how the old model of television and the networks and like that's kind of been blown apart, and now there's this all whole. Cause I was actually just saying. To my husband, I was talking about wanting to put my podcast on YouTube and I was saying, well, I want to edit it down because then that would be closer to the TV show that I want to have. And he was saying in a way that doesn't sound as harsh as it's about to sound like you need to stop thinking of it like then that would be the TV show because this you are you're talking about making the TV show like just that's the show. It's not to get to this thing where the gatekeepers say, yes, you can have this, even though it is. <laughs> I mean, even though in my heart, no, there's you're right. part it's, of me that wants it's that. both. Yeah, yeah. It's both 
things for the first time. It's like follow you should be you should be at the same time following the path that tells you or that has been, you know, laid out for you. Somebody has told you this is how you get this thing and then at the same time doing your own thing completely. Right. Well, so you do both right now. It's, <laughs> it's exhausting. It sounds um wait, I've got I've got too many questions happening at once. Okay, I'm going to put one to the side. Get that out of here. <laughs> well, you just sit there, question. We're coming back to you. Um, okay, so it seems like you are, and, and I love this about you, uh, very like concerned with where you've been and where you're going and how it all works and what comes next. If you disagree with that, tell me. But No, of course not. I'm a lesbian. <laughs> I'm constantly processing. That's our whole thing. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that was a... that was. I don't know if it is, okay. but I'm going to read that into it. Sure. I mean, well, lesbians are known for processing. Okay. That's one of our things. Okay. Because no, there isn't like a guy who's been told by society that he has to just get over it, who then <laughs> imposes that on a woman. Right. Anyway, shut right. up. Right. I'll shut up. No, that makes sense. You can both sit there and overanalyze. Oh, we can talk forever. Oh. We can talk forever. We can talk forever. Society doesn't tell women to get over their their emotions. Right. It tells them to go to have cocktails with each other. <laughs> right. I feel like society... Well, maybe I'm just hanging with the wrong society. I feel like there's a fair amount of get over your emotions. Okay. But it also says you have emotions. Yes. Right. You're as right. if like other people don't. As, yeah. if, as if men are like... No, men... We're unaffected by this. <laughs> they've been bred out of men. <laughs> um, well, my question is... Um, does all that processing, which is or is not because you're a lesbian, it's a new direction the question went, get in the way of you being able to be in the moment? Yes, totally. I have a real problem with that. Again, that could be so many things. It could be the queer point of view that we were just talking about. It could also be whatever brain I have is good for stand-up. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's part of being an introvert where you're like watching things and then you're processing them. Um, actually Rhea and I, because we're both comics, like if we walk down the street together, we're constantly just like, yes, I saw it. Yes, I saw it. Yes, I saw it. Because we are the types of, it means you're the type of person that notices things that are happening around you, like a weird wording on a sign or like a conversation that people are having over there. Um, I'm really, really close with my two sisters are they older they, or younger? I'm in the middle. And they like just don't have that brain. So I know that it's a specific to mm -hmm. comics thing where you have to constantly break everything apart. Um, I don't know what the source of that is. Maybe it's being a middle child also. Right. And like diffusing their conflict and diffusing parental conflict, which is usually something a, a middle child does. Whatever it is. Um, yeah. No, I'm never comfortable in the present moment. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, I have, I have lists. I have so many lists. <laughs> what kind of lists? Goals lists. Do you list goals? <sighs> Only sometimes. I remember when I graduated college, a very popular question was, where do you, you know, what, what's your five-year plan? Where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? And now I could very easily answer those questions. But for the longest time, I hated those questions because I felt like I don't, I don't want to commit in, I don't know, like I'm too unformed. I just, I just want to be happy. But deep down, I knew of all these things that were goals, but like, I didn't want to make it a public thing. I don't know. Um, I actually think that's really cool. You knew you were too unformed. That's well, a pretty I think, amazing statement. To make. I don't, thank you. <laughs> um, at the time, I don't know that I would have articulated it that way. It's more in looking back that I'm realizing that that is my resistance to committing to something was like, I, I 
want to see what happens. I don't know. Oh, that's very interesting. At the time, I just felt like, I hate your questions. I, I can't, I can't do this. I'm not, I didn't feel like an adult enough. I don't know. Did you? Are you, are you good at being present? Uh, oh, hell no. no. No, 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 no. That's a huge thing I've been trying to work on just because it's very easy for me to just spin and live in this like uncertain future and fear and, and agitation and, um, mm. and not always that negative, but just either no, in the past or the future. So I'm really trying to like be where I am and think about, especially lately, I've been, when I, if I get freaked out about something or upset or worried, I just try to think like, think about where you are right now and all the, especially cause I'm, I have a baby on the way. Like think about all the good things, which was like a huge, it took a while to, <laughs> to get pregnant. So think about like all the good things presently, but that is not, I'm not naturally oriented that way. I think that's, oh yeah, it's the, is that the thing that we're all trying to work on? I mean, are, are, is anybody good at that, at being um, chill where they're at? I, Some people actually seem I to be. I think they are. And I but think I don't that, can tell if that's an outward projection. Hmm. I think some people, I think that the alternate too far and like the present, I think that those people, I'm not, I'm not finishing any of these sentences. You guys can do that. Um, <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think I could imagine someone who's just not ambitious at all and just happy, go kind of happy, go lucky and their thing would be people would be like you need to think about the future you need to be more responsible you know I bet that person oh, yeah. is in the is appreciating the moment yeah no you're right I know that person yeah, yeah that's a person that's for a sure. person you're yeah. right that's totally a person but I but the question is are there people who are like in the process of well I think there are people who can appreciate the moment and I think it takes a shit ton of discipline these are the people mm-hmm. who meditate for an hour in the morning. And right. uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, yeah, making goals and things like that is a great way of like pretending that I just broke some horses. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, you know, you guys are all, everybody's under control. Yeah. I know the future because <laughs> I will do these things. That being said, I'm very much a laser. So a lot of times that I, set, when I, like, if I set out to do something, then that, will probably happen because mm-hmm. I'm just doggedly uh, going to pursue it and chase it down and make it happen. <laughs> well, see, I feel like that's an amazing statement that you can, do you feel like anything you decide to do, you can do? Yes. I'm, so- I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry no, to say I that, on, that. The, on a recorded thing. That's a very snotty thing to say. No, it's I'll not. I'll let you say it's actually a, it is, uh, I think it's my greatest strength and also my greatest weakness. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it is a definitely a, a two-sided coin for sure. Cause like the positive side is who has that much self-confidence. That's insane <laughs> to say that it's great. Then the negative side is, um, so I said, I'm very aware of things around me, but I'm not always aware of other people's feelings around me. Cause mm-hmm. I'm, can be so laser focused that I ignore my own feelings but also the people around me. So if people are like, hey, uh, actually for you to achieve that, it would be like so chill if you just talk to me for a second, like a normal person, <laughs> as opposed to just like with eyes glazed over thinking about your own goals or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I'm learning about myself is that that's a part of being somebody that's that like achievement oriented. Right. 
Well, that's interesting, though, because earlier you said that as a middle child, you were the one who was kind of smoothing things over and diffusing, um, which would suggest to me that you are empathetic and like pretty clued into the feelings of the people around you. Um, so, but is it like when you get that laser focus, then? Yeah, yeah. my business Cameron Esposito is really different than personal Cameron Esposito. Who am I talking to? Uh, is this podcast Human Cameron? being, okay. yeah, human <laughs> being Cameron Esposito. Uh, no, this is comfortable and we'll be, we'll be human beings together. But it's just like when I get into a zone where, where it is something that I think I, mm-hmm. like I don't go into a conversation with a person expecting to achieve something that would, that's not who I am. There are people like that too. Right, uh, that's icky. Not, that's not me. Yeah, no, and, I, and I'm good at listening, I think, and I, I mean, I used to, Work in special ed, that's what I thought I would do. Like, I really love trying to help people be their best selves or whatever. But in business, I'm very... What's the word? Determined? Uh, yeah. Like, super determined. Yes. Mm. Um, what happens when you hear no? Um, I just want to know why. And, I'm a, and, I, and talk to that person. And talk them out of their no. <laughs> I mean, that's really not something I... You're like, I, mean, I don't hear it. <laughs> no, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I have been told no so many times. It's not even something that registers as no for me. Mm-hmm. I'm a stand-up comic. The number of times that you're told no, it's like you're told no for years. Like, you bomb. I, like, just bombed last week for the first time in a couple of years, like, that hard. Like, where I walked off stage and was like, oh, maybe I have to move home with my parents. <laughs> like, that Like that level of bombing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're told no all the time. But it's... It's like an, if it's an, if it's an, un, if I can, if I can, if I think it's an unreasonable business no, mm-hmm. like a, not a human being no, like if a human being's like, hey, no, I'm like, oh, okay, chill. I right. can respect that. But if it's like a business no, you're not right for the club. You're not right for this show. You're not right for our network, whatever it is. I'm like, oh, I will, you will, you will change your mind about that. Hmm. Do you try to change their mind though? Um, I mean, not like person by person, but right. I will just go do my own thing and they will mm. come around. Yeah. Because see, when I hear, in certain professional ways, when I hear no, I can pretty quickly go to like, I'm a fraud. I'm an imposter. I'm, they just saw through me and I'm embarrassed and should go hide. Do you have that? No, I don't. Oh, you're so lucky. I, I, I know that it's a weird thing because I, I know what you're talking about. Rhea you know, not, I'm not going to reveal too much about mm. herself because I feel a little weird talking about her struggle, but I know that's a real thing because that's something that someone we have traveled have. together so much. <laughs> yeah. And so we have both seen each other after we bomb. Mm. And like, I know what her bombing is. And it's that. It's what you're talking about. Like, I should just, oh, yeah, I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud is a great way of saying it. Yes. Mm. And then I'm like, let me get back on stage so I can prove it to you. That's so good. Where have you always had that kind of determination? Like as a kid? Yes. 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 It's a personality trait. Whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Whatever like flawed jewel it it is. (laughs) It's a personality trait that's like inherent to my being. Uh So let's go back. Okay. So middle, uh, were there the three of you, just three of you? Yeah. Not not that that's not a lot, but um, okay. So three girls grew up in Chicago. What'd your parents do? Uh, My dad's a lawyer. My mom's a preschool teacher. Okay. And... um, were you a, I was going to say, were you a happy kid? Yeah. Were you a happy kid? I think so. I mean, 
I would say I think I was pretty resilient. And I I mean that like being impressed with my younger self because again, it's that wasn't like a health problem where I had to spend a lot of time in the hospital mm. or something like that. Um, but it was pretty significant for my life because vision is something that impacts literally everything that you do. And yeah. um, then I also am really, really nearsighted. So like I, I need glasses for that too. So I needed like two different types of glasses and uh, like could never see anything. Um, and still just was like, still just played sports and was like an athlete and mm. Um, I was really loved hanging out with my sisters. They're still like my closest friends. And I think that was very fun to have that, those, those, uh, to have siblings that I really liked. And, Mm. um, we also, it was like a weird, it was kind of like a trick. (laughs) What I mean by that is like, I think I was fed a version of reality that is not actually real reality so like all the i had like a great childhood that ended up in a like really difficult teenage to early 20s time frame Mm -hmm. wait what was the uh version of your childhood that you were fed that was not true super really really conservative um highly catholic family oh wow really really catholic and it mattered to me like it wasn't just that um, like it mattered to my parents. Like I was an altar server, which is um, like a priest assistant, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I was like a little kid, you do it when you're like a little kid. You know, I would go like to 7 a.m. mass before school and like hold a cross mm-hmm. and be like into it. Like this is cool. This is <laughs> this is a cool thing. I'm so glad I'm yeah. doing this. This is my favorite thing. Well, um, it has that like way you can work up sort of pecking order thing that you like. That's right. No, you're totally right. It's exactly mm-hmm. deference and like believing in a cause and um, working together in solidarity with people that are outsiders. Like, there's so much there to love, and um, I like really snapped into it. Like, I thought it was awesome. I went to Catholic grade school and high school, and I like. I mean, I drank the Kool Aid like mm-hmm. fully. Like, I was like in. I mean, I was my high school boyfriend and I were like, we're like voted class couple. We were like, (laughs) and so did you know that you were gay at that point? No, because I didn't know that gay was real. Interesting. What did you think it was? Um, like a bad choice people make. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was an action probably Mm. would be the best way to say it. Um, and I wasn't having sex which, by the way, was not difficult because I was <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> with a man. But I wasn't having sex. So, like, to me, all sexuality was an action because, like, mm-hmm. my – it actually – the way my not understanding my own sexuality actually fit perfectly with what I was being taught at school. You know, like, I didn't really have sex ed. Mm-hmm. In high school, our only sex ed was that we watched an abortion in class. Oh, my God. In religion class. And it was very much, like, faith – is first saving yourself for marriage sex is an act that you will do it's an action that you will do with a person that you've chosen as like your friend or whatever it is (laughs) you know like i mean this is all so confusing like it was perfectly i wasn't even justifying it to myself in my brain like it actually made perfect sense Mm -hmm. like this is my best friend he's so cool he has a very pretty body like you know like it was it all made and is sense. it 
is lust considered a sin? Yeah, it is. But again, I had not, I had no, definitely it is, but it's also like I had no reference point for that. I was in love with my female friend. I was in love with my female best friend. Well, a series of, I mean, I was mm-hmm. always in love with my female best friend. Um, and in high school, especially we were like, essentially a couple so many female friendships are because we don't put boundaries on the way women can interact with each other the way that we do with men so many female friendships are so close that it's i mean i was there's no difference in closeness between my relationship with her and my relationship with my boyfriend Mm -hmm. i was extremely close to them i was best friends with both of them the only difference is that i kissed one of them and and like didn't like but but um yeah i mean it was like real intense but at the time, it sounds like you didn't realize. Like I was you, like having the time of my life. Yeah, but like, were you, okay? Were you, at all? Were you thinking I have? You had in your head. Were you like, I wish I could be with her in a in a different way. Like I know this sounds so weird. So imagine a person who is like, yeah. I mean, I would like cry about her. We had songs. You know, like this is our song and stuff mm-hmm. like this. I would go on vacation with her family. We'd have sleepovers. I'd sleep in bed with her. And I just thought that's how all women felt about their best friends. So, I mean, like, yeah, I wanted to be around her all the time. Mm. But you, I think there, when I think about my best friend in grade school, our friendship was intense like that. And I remember, I honestly remember in grade school, like we would break up periodically and decide, let's not be exclusive best friends. We need to have more other friends or we get in a fight or whatever. And it was really intense. Like that was probably my first relationship, you know, when I think about it. So I think that that's not that uncommon. Just maybe that you were, were you on, were you like a senior at this point? I mean, yeah, this, you know, went throughout the whole thing, but no, you're totally right. I mean, so, so given that everybody is on a spectrum of sexualities and also of like gender and every, given that things are much more complicated and gray than we ever admit that they are, or that we're now learning for the first time that they are, of course we have relationships with men and women. I mean, there are men that I have had as such close friends that like essentially we were together. I mean, Mm -hmm. we just don't. For some reason, we parse things out like so specifically, like these are the people I'm dating and these are my friends and these are the people I kiss and these are the people I don't kiss. And um, yeah, so in that world, and especially since women have been permitted to have like a little bit more of that fullness Mm -hmm. that I think we're now starting to understand for the first time, like, yeah, I mean, we were like so much a couple. I mean, it's bonkers to me mm-hmm. how much we were a couple and i had like no idea my favorite movie was romeo and michelle's high school reunion <laughs> like i was just like that's, a good movie. that's us it's a great movie it's so <laughs> funny but also like those women are a couple yeah. you know i mean it's like at the end one of them's with alan coming like that i don't really think so <laughs> right. like they kind of end up together right like yeah that's how that goes um so when did you realize and come out when i was in college um, when I was in college, when I was a sophomore in college, I went to a conservative Catholic college. What college? I went to Boston College mm-hmm. and liked it again, like the same thing. It's So you were still drinking the Kool-Aid, your words. Yeah. I mean, I would go to daily mass in college, wow. like of my own volition as a, as a theology major, um, 
I was like really into it. I was a mm-hmm. faith, peace, and justice minor. That was a minor you could have. Did you um, did you feel guilt? Like, were you into the whole confession, being absolved of, like, was that part of it that you liked? Um, I think what I liked is that it felt like everybody was trying to be their best selves. Everybody was trying to solve problems together. Problems like, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. Um, It also felt like the whole point of faith is to try and understand, you know, the the biggest questions in life. And so I think by the time I was in college, I was starting to not take it literally. Mm -hmm. Like I was reading more text. I was reading um, more of the Bible, but then also, I mean, I'd read the Bible before, but reading like what the, like what the Pope said and what these teachers said. And then also other religions for the first time reading, um, the writings of of other mm-hmm. faiths and um i just found that really appealing because it's it's like such a i mean i really think stand-up is the same thing actually i think i do the same job that mm-hmm. I, I think i'm interested in the same thing i've always been interested in the same thing it's just like what's important to us how do we talk about it with yeah. each other what's the point what how about one of us stand in the front of the room and tell the other people what the answer is <laughs> <laughs> like that's the same job um yeah. as a priest and um yeah, so I was still really, really into it. Mm. Also, BC is a Jesuit school, and I'm just going to assume that you, that you or listeners don't know anything about this, so I'm going to just like yes. lay it all out. So Jesuits are, a, it's a teaching. When you're a priest, you can be, you can either work for like a city or you can work for a specific order, and um, the a specific order has like different things that they value, and Jesuits really value teaching, and then they also really value social change. Like, they're actually revolutionaries. There were Jesuits who, in South and Central America, like, specifically were involved in overthrowing governments that were, like, oppressing the poor Mm -hmm. is the American way that we describe it. So, obviously, there's lenses, other lenses to be put on there. But, like, they're they're actually, like, politically active. Um, these These are the kinds of priests that are, like, shot because of their political mm. work. Like it's like really intense and it usually deals with poverty and it usually deals with people on the fringe of society and social justice. So I was like, yeah, mm. totally. Like that. I'm so into that. I love social justice and people <laughs> on the fringe of society. I will. Yeah. So I was like hardcore committed to, I mean, I would go to protests. Um, I would do, I would go to immersion trips, which is like where you go to third world countries or, or also places in the U.S. and you like ask people there what they need, and as a very unskilled college student, try to build them a house. <laughs> yeah, so I was like into it. That must have been fulfilling, right? Yeah, that's a wow. Nobody ever said that. I think it was super fulfilling. Yeah, it felt like I was doing something. So then, at what point? Because I'm assuming. Since you referred to it as drinking the Kool-Aid, I'm assuming you're not not into Catholicism anymore. Is that fair? Or you're not? No, yeah. I, like do, I think about it as a culture that okay. I was raised in. That you're um, not like that, Like of. how people think about Judaism is that. Um, I think about it that way. Right. But I don't subscribe to any Catholic beliefs. So when did, the, when did you um, de-Catholicize yourself? <laughs> <laughs> um, I... Started reading about what the Catholic Church said about women first. 
like all of it. And I think that coincided with me growing up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I think I, I, it's not like they keep it a secret. First of all, the Catholic Church does not keep it a secret. Um, but I had been in high school or younger and suddenly I was, you know, like 19 and I was reading that I am a vessel, you know, and I was really reading specifically about like on the role of women in the church. And I mean, the things that the Catholic church says about women is so different from the experience of being a woman that I was like shocked. Mm -hmm. I mean, and also I was shocked because I was like, I am 19 and I know this is wrong. And sure, the person who's written this is in their 60s, 70s, or 80s and probably went into the priesthood like in college, or I mean in high school. That was like when you would have gone mm-hmm. for those for that era of people. So maybe they haven't been around women that much. But I would feel like if you just met one woman, <laughs> right, that you would know this is bullshit. <laughs> um, I went to a debate between two people that were in my theology department and one was a woman one was a dude and they were debating whether or not women should be priests mm-hmm. and there was a dude who was his his job of course of course the of course the lines that they fell on were she was like yes women should be priests and he was like no women should not be priests um and i listened to this debate and i kept thinking the whole time like you are 19 you're a 19 year old man you need to go fuck yourself <laughs> if you think that you have an, enough knowledge to say this about anybody I just thought a lot about nuns, mm-hmm. nuns who, nuns can't, it's not the same thing. You can't either serve the city or an order. You have to join an order and you have to take vows of poverty. There are priests who don't take a vow of poverty. So like I knew priests that drove at my school that drove an Audi and had a really fancy condo that I have been to. Mm. And then I thought about these nuns who take a vow of poverty who I saw like in inner city Kingston, Jamaica, dealing with people who had never had health care and were like leaving this world. And I was like, it feels like to me, maybe these people are equal. Maybe these people are even, maybe sometimes even the nuns are a little bit better. Yeah. Depending on the person. But um, that's a really long answer. But it's no, really that's- specific and true. Was that an feminism? Issue with your, That's what it was. Feminism. How did your family feel? Um, I started talking to my. Well, my sisters are actually less religious than I was. Mm-hmm. I was always like the most religious one. My my dad and my mom. I mean, my mom is a feminist, but also Catholic because that was. She's you know, older. She didn't have to. I mean, she's from an older generation. She didn't. She didn't like fully go like fuck off um she's also not gay it's really easy to say fuck off (laughs) to the patriarchy when you don't ever need to right end up with a man um my dad was upset because i was i was like starting to wonder if i would go to church and things like that Mm -hmm. he was like i don't get it um and i was like yeah i bet you don't get it because it's different for you um but then all of this became much less important when I came out because when I came out that was like then the most important thing yeah how'd that go well so how can you um I'm sorry I know you've probably told this story a bunch of times before um but I'm just curious at what point were you like wait a minute I I am gay 
Oh, the first time I kissed a woman when I was in, in college. I was a sophomore and I just, there was a woman that I was doing some of this work that I'm talking about, this like solidarity mm-hmm. work and social justice work. That was a very cute dog. Thank you. With a very cute little waddle. <laughs> um, anyway, so she and I had hit it off as friends and I thought that's what was going on. And then one night we drank a bunch of wine together and then I kissed her and then I was like, oh, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. I just immediately knew. I mean, I just immediately knew. Um, but that didn't mean that I took all the... <laughs> the <laughs> Even though I immediately knew, I did not immediately come out. Mm-hmm. I did not immediately stop dating men. I did not immediately tell my parents. Um, that woman was my first girlfriend, but it was like mired in years of trying to figure out what that even meant. Mm-hmm. When you had that realization, how did you feel about it? Was it like... Because I could imagine on the one hand, like a relief, on the other hand, scary. Right, right. So one thing that I know, because I've read so much about this, is that parents often feel like their child has, I'm going to say, I mean this, and like, <laughs> this sounds so heavy, but what has like died oh, when their child comes out. Because it's like the child that they knew is actually gone and mm-hmm. has been replaced by a different child that's not gay. So you just have to like learn to love that different child or whatever. Um, for a gay person, I think the experience is the exact opposite, which is that for the first time you feel real because um, you have known something was going on with you the whole time. Nobody else has seen you as what was going on. You didn't see yourself that way. It's like being a vampire, you can finally see yourself in the mirror mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, wow, so- like you finally integrate. Yes, exactly. You. That's a really great way of saying it. Yeah, you finally integrate. I just have to sit on one leg. That leg was dead. Um, Yeah, you finally integrate like what it feels like to be a person Mm -hmm. with a body and then also what's going on in your mind. Um, It was huge. Yeah, it was huge. Mm -hmm. So the feeling was relief, as you say, but also I was like so upset about it. You didn't want to be. No, no. I was so upset about it because I thought, well, I had no models for how this could look. Mm-hmm. I had like no reference point. I mean, when I was a kid, I my I hadn't been able to watch. I wasn't allowed to watch Ellen in the house that I grew up. Like I wasn't allowed to watch gay stuff. Wow. I didn't know that. Like I literally had never seen a gay person that was out, that they were out and I had seen them mm-hmm. and I had seen anything about them. Like what do they do for a living? Do they date anybody? Like, I just literally had no context. Right. It was like realizing you were going to fall off the world. And you're like, also unsure about whether it's a choice. <laughs> I might be choosing to fall off the world. Yeah. Huh. So did you try to suppress or deny it for yes. a while? Yes. Yeah. Continued to date dudes. Um, which was terrible. And got more, got more terrible. Because like... Earlier, before I had known, I was just I was just really good friends with the guys that I had dated, and they were kind dudes. Mm-hmm. But I started to be in a much worse position, and bad people can sense, you know, when you're or, vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, you know, like the kinds of relationships that come out of when you're in a really bad state are often really bad mm-hmm. relationships. So yeah. I had like a terrible relationship with a dude that 
lasted a bunch of years. Terrible right. how? Mm. Um, how to best describe it? I'm trying to write about it right now for the first time for this book that I'm writing. It's um, weird because at the time I didn't even realize how bad it was. Oh, I should say this. At BC, you can't come out at the time. Now you can. It what, cha- they changed the policy after I was What there. was the policy before? Like there was no protection. Spelled? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And also for faculty. There's no protection. There was uh, no protection for gay students or faculty. You could be removed from the faculty. Legally, you could be kicked out of school. There were no out gay people in my class. I have my jaws on the floor. Or that I knew in the entire of the school. Boston College is not a small school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't, there's not one gay person that I knew that was out. Not one gay, not, not one gay teacher that was out. Right. There also, there wasn't allowed to be a gay straight alliance on campus. And we weren't allowed to perform the vagina monologues. When? Because in the vagina monologues, there's a scene where two women are together. And when was this? I mean, this I graduated was... in 2004. This is very recent. That's, this is just so mind blowing to me. Yes. I that know. There, that a college campus would be that way. I mean, um, there are that some, some that are. Yeah. But what's so shocking about it, I think, is because, like, BC has a good football program. You know, you've heard of it. Right. Like, you've heard of Boston College. Yes. I think that a lot of places that still have these kinds of policies, maybe they're really small. Right. Like, religious, Roberts af- Yeah, University. religiously affiliated universities that maybe don't have, like, as much national play because, I mean, BC has football and basketball. Mm-hmm. They're both really great at both things and and both of those sports feed into professional sports so there's like you know this school you've heard of this school yeah um yeah but that was all also did you see the movie spotlight did you see that movie i um i haven't seen it yet so there's also that takes place in boston and at the same time in boston so that was going on so i could not come out at school Mm -hmm. um and at the same time the the church, the Archdiocese of Boston was being like, what's the right word? Uh, not investigated, like exposed mm-hmm. as covering up child sexual abuse for priests. There was ha- this was happening literally the same years. This is happening at the exact same time. So like I couldn't come out, but priests were being um, hidden and protected mm-hmm. um, and swapped between parishes in Boston. That was happening at the same time. And then, the same week that I graduated from school, Massachusetts became the first state to legalize same-sex marriage. So the first, the same week that I was at graduation, I went and stood on the state house steps and like watched the first oh, steps wow. or the the first couples graduate and leave city. I mean, not graduate, uh, get married and leave city mm-hmm. hall. That all happened at the same time. So like, what was going on between like the Catholic Church and sex and sexuality and who's a predator and who isn't a predator mm-hmm. and what's okay and what is swept under the rug and what should just be taken care of you know like all of that was happening at the same time and then at the very end of that and it's just like fully legal to get Mm -hmm. married in the first state in the country that that's true that was like an unbelievable what can you guys believe that no i mean that's all i was there for all of it right and that was my coming out was like during that whole time wow so wild wow wow when did you start doing improv? I know that you started in When improv, I was, right? so it was the same age. Mm-hmm. It was the same age I started doing comedy, uh, like the same time that I started dating women. But again, I was not out. I was like not out with, I'm trying to think of when like the people I was doing comedy with would have known. I might've been years later. Like it might've been years later. Mm-hmm. So, and I was, and it was a super connected group of people. Like we, I spent so much time with them 
Amy Poehler had been in the group 10 years prior. And at the time, she was just starting to break through mm-hmm. on SNL. So it was very much like a group of people that were like, we're going to all be on SNL like tomorrow. Like this is so it was a, such a weird grouping of like first time connecting with people, first time finding comedy, first time like finding this group of people that accepted me and knew me as this performer that mm. I'd never done before. I'd been a big jock. I was like never into performance stuff and finally was like finding that part of myself and then separately. But always, f- were you, but you were always considered funny? Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So you were doing comedy. I mean, you were doing improv comedy. And then at what point did you start doing stand-up? When I was 25, when I moved back to Chicago. Mm-hmm. So like I lived in Boston and had a day job that worked in education. And then at night I would do comedy. Um, I actually got my first job the, the day after I graduated from school. So like I was just always doing it at night. And then I moved back to Chicago. And that was like a huge moment for many reasons because my things had been very hard with my parents post coming out. Mm-hmm. So when I was 25, that was really like the first time I was able to come home fully Mm. and like they met a girlfriend of mine like that was a huge deal um and i I don't think it's at all a coincidence that that's when i changed from the version of comedy that is about like being somebody else to the version of comedy that's just about being yourself Mm -hmm. oh that's interesting because i think of improv versus stand-up as like being part of a group and teamwork versus being a like solo performer but I hadn't thought about it as acting in essence versus just being yourself that's really interesting yeah yeah I mean I, I think that there's a real part of that in improv and also agreement is such mm. a big deal in improv and I think I had been very agreeable for a very long time about some stuff that I no longer was willing to be agreeable about and so I found like this the opposite of that Stand-up is, if you're agreeable, you're failing, you know? It's about, like, what is your specific viewpoint mm-hmm. and how do you convince people, like, and think it out so that it's not irrational and then also explain it to people and get them on your side. Um, so that's, like, exactly where I was at emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, something I love about your stand-up is it's just so, like... You definitely know what you think about a lot of topics. It's very, <laughs> but I mean that that sounds no, like backhanded. It. But I mean, like it's uh, to say no holds barred. Like that sounds cheesy, but it's just not all comedians tackle political topics, and you don't always know. Like I feel like I really know what her opinion is on this matter, and and yet it's funny. Um, from the beginning, were you able to be that unadulterated? No, no, not. I actually, I, t- I do take that as a compliment. That's a really nice thing to say. Thank you. For You're saying welcome. That. <laughs> I mean it. Um, no, that's really cool. I, I, no, I started, you know, with like, not dick jokes, because I'm trying to think of like another, I started with the same jokes everybody else is telling, mm-hmm. which is just like, I was walking down the street and I saw like a potato or what, you know, whatever it like is. Observational. Like, yeah. Observational stuff. Um, and one thing I'll say is that I was always out on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, cause some comics start and then they come out. Um, but I was always out and 
I don't know. I don't know what's changed for me personally that that is like, I cannot even, sometimes I try to think about maybe I should be more observational. Maybe that would be good because maybe, maybe I'm so loud mouthed all the time that it would be nice if people just had like some stuff they could laugh about that <laughs> didn't mean anything. And <laughs> then I, I can't even imagine how I would write that material now. Like it's so far away from where I am. Where I was is so far away from where I am. I mean, it strikes me, it seems brave to me because you're talking about stuff where people have strong opinions. Do you get a lot of shit from people? Like for, you know, doing jokes about gun control. I do think I get a lot of shit from people. Um, I mean, so number one, you you can only like live in your internet experience. <laughs> so I don't know what it is like for other people. I will say... It would it would surprise me if other comics got told to stop doing comedy Ugh. as much as I do because of the topics that I talk about. Mm -hmm. And I know it's topic related. It and it's because I talk about my sexuality. It's because I am kind of yelly. I'm like very loud and specific about what I'm saying. Um, sometimes I tell dudes what to do and what to not do um and sometimes i yeah have very strong opinions on political topics that being said i also hear like we get it you're gay can't you just talk about something else <laughs> so i wonder if i was able to if i was the kind of person that just natural number one you can only be who you are on stage mm -hmm. everything else rings as false you're gonna fail so if i was the type of person that wanted to talk about being gay as and i was more like for instance ria who's a little bit like softer spoken on stage um i wonder if i would still get the same amount of response and we we don't we can't test it yet because ria is a she's a, a couple years behind me in terms of comedy so she doesn't actually have the exposure yet mm -hmm. that i do so we'll see we'll see when she is is facing as many eyeballs as right. I am if people want her to shut up as much. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I will say also like, I, oh, go ahead. that is eclipsed by leaps and bounds by positive feedback. So this is not like, not, this is not like, this is what I hear and I'm continuing to do it anyway. It's more that I don't <laughs> think, I doubt that people that have, been, I mean, I, at this point I am doing this. Like, I have been on Comedy Central multiple times. I have I tour nationally and I headline theaters. Like mm -hmm. I'm doing okay. I have a hit television show. You're, you have Delta a, Platinum status, working on yeah, Diamond. Like, <laughs> like shit is okay. And I only say that because how weird that you would tell me to stop doing this. Like obviously that's right, not what's going to happen. It's literally my job. Mm. I'm literally I'm literally I'm at work. I'm at work. Well, that's what I was going to say. You're not my boss. I think. And I'm sure there's a, a whole bunch of dudes who are going to hear this and be like, I don't think so. Actually, maybe that's not true because I feel like my audience is pretty open-minded. But I just feel like if you're a woman and you have a voice, people tell you to shut up. Just regardless. Yeah. It's I mean, if you have a voice and you're in the public in, in any way. Yes. It's hard to... I just saw something that... Do you know Humans of New York, the Instagram? Yes. So... They just posted a picture of Hillary Clinton where mm -hmm. she's talking in the first person about herself. First of all, 
When did they Holy get that? Holy shit. Yeah. Like this is her, her, for her campaign, this is a first that they're, that they're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very happy for them that they're doing this because I feel like her strategy has had to be to kind of ostrich and hide her head and like allow the many, many waves of Donald Trump's racism and misogyny to just kind of like crash over her because, because mm-hmm. she cannot match him in yelling. Right. And that is so. So if we do have a female president, and I hope to God that we do, because the other option is terrifying, extremely unqualified for the job and really scary as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not a this is not a this is this is no longer a fun game where we wonder if there's a better female. Is there a better first female <laughs> president? Right. Why, why would vote for a woman but not her? OK, but this other person is a monster. This is a literal monster that she's running against. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, if she was president, if we would then have an example for how women are loud, even if she's never allowed to be loud, mm-hmm. even if her coaches and speechwriters and everyone around her has to tell her to speak in a soft voice, she'll still be loud because she'll be the president. Therefore right. her power right, she'll have a will platform. make her loud. Um, because I don't know how we're supposed to say what we feel. Right. I'm trying to think, is there any woman in the public eye who doesn't get told to shut up and to not have a voice? I can think of two. Oh, who? Beyonce and Michelle Obama. Interesting. Oh, I feel like people tell Michelle to shut up. You're right. People do tell Michelle Obama to shut up. I'm just thinking about when she was at the DNC, how people loved her so much. But you're right. No, you're right. People have told her to stop talking. Stop telling us what to eat. (laughs) Yeah. Like as if that could, as if education about health and children could be conveyed in like right. She's trying she's to so control. Preachy. Okay, Beyonce. Let's just say Beyonce then. Yeah, and there are definitely people who hate Beyonce, mm-hmm. but they celebrate her having a voice. But they celebrate her having a voice. Yeah. Interesting. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, number one, she's extremely good at her job. <laughs> I mean, her job is. She really is a brand unlike anything we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so well thought out and so well executed. Just the fact that she is now a mother and doesn't hide that part of herself mm-hmm. and then is like actually into it. She's like this Mother Earth character that will also beat you up. <laughs> like that's amazing. <laughs> um I mean, I I also think that I'm going to try to be really careful here about what I say. So any listeners know that I'm trying. I'm a white person and I can't fully understand this. But I will say that she is a black woman. So she is duly marginalized. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's a part of us, all of us, even the super racist of us, even the worst misogynists, that a little bit is like, okay, I would, I feel like maybe this person, I would like to hear from this person. Mm-hmm. And for those of us that are not marginalized um, based on our skin color, uh, she, it's like she can be a hero for all people. Because even though she's not my hero for that reason, right. you know, like I, I have never experienced that, I still know that 
like I I do still know that I am have been marginalized and I look at her and I say like speak speak for us president of us like tell us tell tell us what to do next right that makes sense and the way that she actually does it is so I mean I saw her we saw her we went to go see the formation tour oh yeah (laughs) it's real good (laughs) it was very good it was really cool watching people respond to her Mm mm-hmm it's also really cool being there as a white person and I will say number one very mixed audience but also like definitely I would say mostly black I would say mostly black still Mm -hmm. even though very mixed and it was also nice to be watching something and go like this is not fully for me but I'm here because I like because I because I can still celebrate it like because I know it's not fully for me Mm -hmm. and I'm actually into that I'm into the fact that there are things right now that I don't get full access to right like that actually makes me feel as a white person okay because i don't know because i'm trying to be woke or whatever <laughs> I'm trying. Well, and also because it means that there are other representations out there i mean other yeah. like, viewpoints that are getting right attention. you're right you're right you're right that's a really good point yes exactly yeah i want to hear more from her mm. and i want to see some hats dance dance and show me hats <laughs> i want to know everything you have to say i want to tell you guys about ring video doorbell ring video doorbell is amazing and you need it whether you know you need it or not um i don't know what you guys are like when the doorbell rings but for me when i hear the doorbell ring i hide and then i panic or sometimes i panic and then i hide and then i think who is that I need to find out who that is before i open the door i'm going to peer out a window i hope they don't see me peering out a window It's just a whole amount of craziness that I can now avoid thanks to Ring Video Doorbell. And you can too. Ring Video Doorbell is amazing because you can see who's at your door and you can interact with them via your smartphone, uh, whether you're hiding behind the couch a la moi, bet you didn't know I spoke French, or whether you're thousands of miles away. And also, it keeps your whole house safe. I don't know if you guys know this, but most home burglaries happen in broad daylight with a burglar ringing your doorbell to make sure you're away before breaking in. Ring Video Doorbell has been proven to stop burglaries before they happen by allowing you to see and speak to anyone approaching your door with your smartphone. Now, Ring is using their advanced motion detection technology to protect your entire property with the Ring of Security Kit. The kit includes a Ring Video Doorbell for the front door and a Ring stick-up cam, the wireless weatherproof HD camera to keep an eye on other parts of your property. Ring Video Doorbell and Stick Up Cam both install in minutes and working together, they provide 24-7 monitoring of your entire home, whether you're in the living room hiding behind the couch, or thousands of miles away. For a limited time, listeners, my listeners, can get up to $150 off a Ring of Security kit. Go to ring.com slash Allison now. Join the millions of homeowners who protect their home with Ring. Go to ring.com slash Allison for up to $150 off your kit. That's ring.com slash Allison. Let's take um, some questions from listeners, but first, just a few little announcements. You guys, I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. It's a place you can go to support artists that you're into, um, rewards, bonus content, all that fun stuff. So check that out. Also, I will be or will have just been at LA Podcast Festival. I'm just realizing the dates that this is my... Well, anyway, September 24th at noon which by the time you hear this may have already happened. I was at LA podcast festival. Um, and if it hasn't happened yet though, come out or get a ticket to, uh, to view the live stream. You can stream the whole festival, um, and go to LAPodfest.com, 
LAPodFest.com. Enter the promo code ROSEN and you get a discount on the live stream. And if you're going to buy something on Amazon, click through the banner on my website, AllisonRosen.com. doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Thank you for all your Amazon support. Okay. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay. Regan says, I heard in an interview that you were writing a book. Are there any more details on that? By the way, I love Take My Wife. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm writing a book. It's very hard. <laughs> Have you? Do you ever write anything? Yes, I am a, a yeah, writer like, before like, I mean, all like, this. Like a, like a, what kind of writer? Um, I was a journalist and I'm actually working on book stuff right now. So um, how are you doing it? Oh. I find it to be so hard. S- yeah. Slow. Well, I'm used to, so being that I worked in magazines forever, I'm used to deadlines and not long sprawling things. So, um, I have wanted to do a book for years and years and years. And it's just like the lack of structure around it has been difficult for me. So I'm finally kind of like making a little more progress than I have in the past. Um, but yeah, I, uh, uh, what's your experience? Yeah, no, similar. I think I'm so used to some sort of feedback also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, either be it through stand-up or writing for a show. Like, you're writing with other people and then it's a good, eventually going to go so you're going to get to see. Yeah, it's it's very – how does anybody do this? Like, for a real-life living, like, every day. I don't know how they do that. Yeah. It's very much – keeping yourself going i heard someone say something um also a, a another magazine writer who did write a book and that she i don't know she might have gotten this from someone but it's like being on a train in the dark through a tunnel and with with a i'm gonna butcher this like with a light in the front of the train where you just see what's immediately in front of you and you just trust the, that you're gonna get all the way through but I don't know. My my thing is that I would be constantly tempted to read the whole thing up to the point at where I'm trying to write. And you can't do that. <laughs> you have to just kind of pick up and go. But um, well, so do you when when is it going to come out? Do you know? So at this point, I've blown like five deadlines, but not in a bad way. I keep getting things that are really positive in my career and I have to say yes to them. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was supposed to write it and I got a bunch of movies Awesome. Then the TV show went awesome. Right. So um, I'm supposed to be working on it right now instead I'm on this podcast, which is really <laughs> fun and the right choice. Um, but to answer your question, what else can you expect? It really is talking a lot about the stuff that we talked about at the kind of, I guess, middle of the podcast mm-hmm. about um, who I was and who I really was and then bringing those things back together. Yeah. Do you have um, like a writing routine or anything? I mean, I haven't even had time, not time, but space to structure any sort of writing routine because mm-hmm. up until this point, it's really been run and gun. And that's for standup that actually works for me. Like I really am very fire off a zillion things. I write on stage and then perfect it over mm-hmm. time. So I'm going to have to have a writing routine and that's going <laughs> to be new for me. Uh, SNL fan 12 says, how do you date a girl when you're closeted? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, number one, um, 
I don't know a lot about you. So let's talk about some options. Um, maybe you're a young person and that's why you're closeted. Maybe you're still in your parents' house and it wouldn't be safe for you to come out. Um, in that case, no problem. You have your life ahead of you. So I would say, how do you date someone? I think you could look in your immediate vicinity. Maybe there's somebody at school that is also in the same position that you're in. Um, or let's say you figure out what coffee shop in town lesbians go to. There's always a coffee shop in town <laughs> that lesbians go to. Um, I would also say, unfortunately, and also fortunately, there's no rush if you're a young person. You might be young and you might not be dating women uh, yet because maybe you're not dating anybody and you'll totally have time for that. If you are not a young person and you are closeted and you're trying to figure out how to date women, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're going to have to come out of the closet. I really strongly believe that in 2016, there is no reason to do that to yourself. You owe it to yourself to have the people in your life know who you are, even if it means losing friends and family. Uh, you will make friends and family that actually deserve you and that you deserve. So if you are an older person, then not a younger person, and you are like financially stable um, or have a place of your own where you will be safe, you should try to make a plan to come out over time. Um, you, can see, you can do it with one person first, and it may not go well. That doesn't mean that it won't go well with everybody but it's something that you should have as a long-term goal. That is really good advice. Really Catherine. serious answer, but like <laughs> no, but, so but really helpful like, too. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Catherine Mary says the haircut discuss hashtag fangirl. <laughs> uh, the haircut. Yeah. So for listeners, well, they will have seen your photo, but you have a very iconic haircut. Iconic. Is, uh, <laughs> yes. Short on one side, longer on the other side. Yes. Society mullet. And very cool. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, you have pretty, you have pretty shiny hair. Oh, thank. Oh, this hair. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, when when did you get it? How did you? I've had this haircut for so long at this point. Well, versions of it. Mm -hmm. Like it has not always been the same. But I've had an asymmetrical haircut for many, many years. I think I've probably had an asymmetrical haircut for eight or nine years. Um, I don't know. I went to my then hairstylist in Chicago and I was dating a woman who was just like very artsy and <laughs> um, I was very artsy at the time not that I'm not now but now comedy is like a business for me at right. the time comedy was like an art and I was also in the circus and my girlfriend was a modern dancer and our lives were very like we had one we had a bedroom an apartment that was like five hundred dollars all in, you know, like <laughs> stuff was real artsy. And right. so um, my hairstylist was just like, I want to try something with you. And at first it was just like a little bit short on one, a little bit. It was more, it just more looked like I was like my, had head, your head, tipped. Like my head was tipped. <laughs> it didn't really look asymmetrical. And then after a while it was like shaved on one side. Um, then when I moved out here, this was actually like weirdly a very stressful part of moving because at <laughs> right. that time, who's going to do it? My hair was like a thing that was part of my brand, which sounds disgusting to say, but is true and mm -hmm. real, and you have to be aware of it. Um, and so I was like, "Well, 
what am I going to do? And Rhea and I found, we both go to the same person. He is amazing. He also, his whole salon is like the queerest, most <laughs> like every, every time we go in there, there's like somebody in there that has made something we love or like there's crystals and stuff. I can't even, a lot of face tattoos. It's great. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to say what it is? Um, I don't know. Cause I don't want people to take up all the appointments. Well, more so. I just don't <laughs> want anybody to, I don't want to ever see anybody there. <laughs> that was, oh. oh, that's okay. I want to give them business. How do I figure it out? Um, well, I'll tell you what, it's on Rhea's Instagram. She always okay. Instagrams pictures of him. Maybe that will weed out the right. people that are too busy to go on Rhea's Instagram, okay. but he does an amazing job. Perfect. Do but given that it's part of your brand, if you ever wanted to not have this haircut, it's a problem. At this point, I'm so sick of it. Really, but I don't know what I would do next because also it fits my gender in a really specific way that makes sense to me. And mm -hmm. all short hair, I don't know what that would be like because I feel like it looks a little bit like in my on my inside. I don't know if I feel this way when I look at a mirror, but when I feel it, I'm like David Bowie. Yeah, and then I feel like that's right because that's who I. We are the same gender, David Bowie and I. <laughs> um, oh, Jim Snyder says, when you get an idea for a bit, what do you do to preserve it? Write it down, type it into an app, audio? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, usually email it to myself. I've been doing that for years. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. And then, but then it also, if anybody ever looked at your... <laughs> I like, if anybody... <laughs> Hopefully no like serial killers will ever live directly next door to us stand up comics because <laughs> if you looked at our phones slash bags, there's just like everything looks you're just emailing yourself like squirrel poop. You know what I mean? Or Wait, you mean you think you look potentially I think you look not I think you look not not the most stable. The things that are in <laughs> my in my phone that I have sent to me. Emails I have emailed to me. Um Okay. Let's see here. I'm just going to choose a good last one. Um, well, MRaven721 says, did she love working with her wife? I'm assuming he means on she, sorry. She means on take my wife. But you you guys also host Put Your Hands Together. Yeah. Um, I love working with Rhea because she's a brilliant genius. But it's also a living nightmare working with her because just a lot of time to spend with the person that you're with and also you know how work is stressful and mm -hmm. annoying and then you want to come home and be like i work with this person <laughs> who is like impossible to work with and they do this very annoying thing with their mouth but <laughs> you have to say that to the person you're talking about um so i mean i'm so glad that we made the show together but i can't believe we're not divorced already mm -hmm. it's like been so hard I don't also like really great problems to have, but I just mean, I don't want to give anybody the wrong idea if they're listening and they're like, I should have a thing with their thing. Yes, you should. You totally should, but it's <laughs> going to be annoying. Okay. Yeah. Do you think you are more critical or less critical if that's even an, a thing that comes up um, because of your relationship with each other in a, in a work set, like working on the show, would you be more 
inclined to be quick to criticism or less? I think that you might have hit on exactly one of the major problems, which is that we have a very honest relationship. We're super honest with each other. We, we're also in the same field. We've toured together for years. Like we're both women. It's women, like we were saying to end the podcast where we started, you know, over process everything. So like we talk everything out. And I think that level of honesty is maybe something that's hard mm -hmm. to have in a work relationship. Because I think there are some moments where I would have compromised with anybody else. But I'm not going to compromise with her because I'm going to tell her exactly how I really feel. Right. Right. All right. Now we're, we're almost done, but we do a segment called Just Me or Everyone where people write in with things they <laughs> think or do and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And we weigh in. And there's a song. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me? Or everyone. Okay, Sarah Malloy says, when I see a help us identify criminals segment on TV, have to check to make sure it's not a picture of me. That's interesting. I don't have that, but I do check to see if I know the person. Wow. Uh, no, neither. I don't think I know the person, and I don't think it's me, but I am scared. Mm -hmm. I'm scared all the time. I'm a really scared person of like murders right of, not like of but of irrational things like monsters murder murderers and ghosts mm -hmm. real problem real problem oh wait so you have the same fears of supernatural stuff as of murderers and things like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay did you see yeah. stranger things no no i can't watch it i i am the biggest wimp in the world uh one of the most traumatic events of my young life was sitting at a slumber party and I didn't even watch The Exorcist. I just heard it because I was afraid oh, yeah. I was hiding under a blanket. But I mean, it was scared me for like six months. I don't like horror. I don't, I can't do anything scary. However, I watch Stranger Things and it's really good. It's a little scary. It is a little scary at the beginning, but I don't want to scare you. But I I'm mean, just I, saying, I you might be able like, to handle it. I feel like the level of fear that I have around scary things I saw Ghostbusters in the theater. And you know, did you see Ghostbusters? No. Okay, there's like a moment in this movie where there's just like an open basement door. And just the concept of an open door to a basement. <laughs> yeah. Is like a little much. So Cami Esposito, who earlier was like, I'm just like so brave. <laughs> and I can't take no for an answer. This is my this is my Achilles mm -hmm. heel. I like, I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of television so much. I wish I could see Stranger Things. Probably what will happen is that I will read the Wikipedia entry. I do that of things I'm afraid of Fully. too. Do you? Do yes. you ever, and then do you look up screenshots of the things in the No, thing? that's too scary. No, see, I'm endlessly fascinated by horror and like yes. also by true crime. Like I find it endlessly fascinating. But I think actually my brain, I think it's that my brain loves it too much. Mm -hmm. Like if I see it, I want to think about it right. so much. Like I want to lay in bed and just think about like, oh my God, like the, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it was. The movie Seven, like that movie of course I, I saw did not see at it. a sleepover in the similar situation that Ugh. you're thinking about. I, I've, I, I'm thinking about it to this day. Like when did I see that? How old was I? Was I 12? Yeah. I'm 34. I can't, I can't stop thinking about Seven. Like, come on. Yeah. I come on, similar. And I just recently like, just recently I was like, why is my brain so curious about these horrible, sadistic things why is that such there's so much of a charge in that for me because 
my life is so not about any of that. Do you think that's like, why do you think it, why do you think it scares you? And why do you think you're interested? Do you know anything? Well, I mean, I have like, I've got two levels of answers, just sort of the basic answer. I think that all that stuff is taboo and very frightening and therefore has an allure to all human beings. I mean, it's the reason that people who like horror, like horror, um, I think there's just this morbid curiosity about like how dark can, how evil can people be? And like, what is the weirdest shit they do? I think that that's, it's transgressive. And I think that there's just a curiosity around it. And I think because I'm so afraid of it, there's like an extra charge. Cause I'm like, I don't want to look at it, but I do, I don't, I do, I don't. Um, I think my like level deeper answer would be, I think I personally am very, cut off from um well I remember I was in, in therapy years ago my therapist said everyone has cruelty inside them like that's a human thing and I said I don't <laughs> and she's like no everyone does like I'm very I identify very much as like a very nice considerate person who wants to help everyone I'm like very good and I'm kind and like that's who I that's the what I identify with so all that dark stuff that is in everyone. Like I'm very, it's very pushed to the side and I don't, I don't ever really feel it, but I'm sure it's like in there somewhere. So I wonder if that's like drawing me to that stuff, but I'm so scared of it. Oh, that's so interesting. In the movie version of this, you're the one that snaps. <laughs> right. You know, probably. Yeah. Just cause it's always the nicest one. Yeah. I mean, I hear, I hear you fully. I think the reason I am so scared of it is, is actually vision related. Cause I, I like oh, have never yeah. been able to see in the dark especially Mm -hmm. and then at night you take off your glasses so like you know think about how much of scary movies are like and then at night in your house this will happen and like i am always just like uh yeah yeah no that's totally gonna happen and (laughs) i'm not gonna be able to see it right the vulnerability yeah super vulnerable that's so interesting just lately um so I, i never really sleep well but especially being pregnant i don't so i get up a lot in the night and Actually, this is since watching Stranger Things, it's become a problem. When I walk back into our bedroom, there's a big full-length mirror across the way, and I see me, but it, it's dark, so I'm not sure it's me, but even though I know it's me, still I see a person, and it, I'm like, I got to cover that mirror. No, it's so scary. Freak yes, me out. exactly. Um, okay, Sam Vance says, sometimes when finishing a bowl of cereal, I consume the remaining milk slowly with a spoon as if it were soup. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I would just drink it out of the bowl, probably. Yeah, or like pour a little bit more cereal mm-hmm. back in. That's why cereal is a problem. And use it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ange says, whenever I see a spelling error, I immediately question the validity of the source. I think I've become sort of uh, desensitized to spelling errors. So it depends. If it's really egregious, if it's like you can look at it and you're like, oh, this person is really dumb then perhaps but for the most part a few errors i don't really notice mm, i think for some reason the only thing i can think of is is twitter mm-hmm. hearing this and um oh it's the saddest when somebody's like saying a good thing somebody you know like yes. a friend of yours is saying a really good thing and they accidentally put like some sort of apostrophe s in for, like <laughs> yeah. you just you know they had a just a different draft of it going and then right. they finally like sent it out and forgot because i do that all the time and then it's, oh, it's the worst. But also, then the flip side of that is always the biggest, the people that are saying the most idiotic things There's, are usually yeah. saying them through an almost unintelligible yes. level of spelling and grammar errors. So, 
Agreed. Yeah, I do wonder. I wonder where they're coming from in general. Why did you feel like you had to say this to me? Right. And how quickly did you feel like you needed to get that out? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you could have just unfollowed. You didn't yeah. have to tell me you were going to. Oh, you don't even follow me at all. <laughs> you just sought me out yes. to say this. Oh, that's We how, have that's no connection to each yeah. other. I'm not yeah. bothering you in the slightest. Right. I just exist. They just did a search. And that's a problem. M says, falling asleep anywhere but a bed makes me annoyed because I didn't get as well rested as I would have on a bed. 100%. Really? Hate hate it dude i i will couch sleeping nope get out of here couch sleeping and i just fell asleep on the couch just last night oh my god Mm-mm. ria is a real one of those like i'm not even sleeping she's fully <laughs> sleeping people and it makes me insane i'm like listen we're going to the bed we're getting a real sleep yeah uh, Meredith Shapiro says, think about things I want, second baby house, and then remember that acquiring them will just mean I'm one step closer to death. Um, I have all sorts of issues about fear regarding the passage of time, but that one specifically, I don't have, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't think about like achieving what I want will just mean I'm closer to death. Although I guess it's true. No, I don't think about that at all. I do think about. I do imagine myself like as I am now Mm -hmm. achieving all the things that I want. And then sometimes I will be like, no, you'll be older. You'll be older then. You'll be older then. It's hard to think about that. Also, I don't know why it's hard to think about that. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. I never really think about, I just assume it all will happen to present day me. Yeah. And present day me, by the way, is like me 20 years ago. Exactly. (laughs) I can't believe as a 12 year old, I've achieved all this. (laughs) Right. Because I was 12, 20 years ago. Um, I was not. Emily says, the water at your house always tastes better than the water at the houses of your friends or family. Um, I've been very public about the fact that I don't like water. I'm just not a big water fan. So I find the water at my house doesn't taste good. And I find the water at other people's houses doesn't taste good. What do you drink instead? Well, I drink water these days. But um, prior to pregnancy, I was all about any sort of artificially sweetened diet, soda, anything. Um, Oh, boy. my favorite being uh, diet, no caffeine, no calories, wild cherry soda that they sell at pavilions. Oh, my God. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't. A weird thing happened. I mean, as a kid, I think I drank all that stuff, too. Like, and I also really never regular soda. Like I was. We're, yeah. We're, we're in like that weird 90s, like. Low fat, right. low cal craze generation of adults mm-hmm. who like only drink diet soda just yeah. really are very familiar with the diet <laughs> versions of things um and like snack wells and stuff that's mm-hmm. not food um <laughs> but what about pirate's beauty is that food that scares me less yeah i just like i came of age and at such a specific time when like everything was that mm-hmm. everything was it was like the more packaged and the more boxed up like right. thinking about a Snackwell's cookie that's like in fully in a box, but then inside of that there's a bag, mm-hmm. and, and then inside, inside of that, of like that a thing, there's yeah. a like a plastic thing, right. and inside of that there's like something that is made to taste like nothing. Like there's not even a full fat version right. of that. Cookie. You're right. There's not a snack worse. Like yeah, you can you think about the Snackwell cookie I'm specifically talking about? Yes, it's oh, like I a know chocolate exactly what, one. Oh oh. Oh, what yes. I was thinking of the the vanilla sandwich cookie. Yeah, the vanilla sandwich cookie has like 
a rough equivalent, I guess, which would be the Oreo. Right. But then they made those like fudge ones. Yes. It's like there's a layer those of marshmallow. Are not that bad. <laughs> no, they're they're. Good I know what you mean. There's no... Actually, I don't know that they would taste good now because I haven't had them in so long. They would. I had them sort of recently. Have you? Okay. Yeah. My, no. What my I, parents' house, they had them. Yeah. Okay. What I was going to say is that diet soda doesn't taste good to me anymore because oh. I moved really far away from that direction. Because when I when I I just started to like really have like a ton of stomach problems and was like mm-hmm. really feeling sick all the time and I stopped eating those things at all and diet soda is one of those things you cannot you cannot go home again oh I fully intend to go home the minute the baby's out of me <laughs> yeah no I mean well you've had it recently what I mean yes. is like I at the at this point it's been a couple of years mm-hmm. and like whatever used to taste like totally normal and good to me is now like a real that's interesting it's like miles away can't can't get it can't get into it at all Okay. Can't understand what it even is supposed to taste like. Well, see, that's like my husband who he's always in the past was always when I'm like, did they give me real Coke by mistake? Daniel, try this, you yeah. know, and then he instantly <laughs> knows because I yeah. can't really tell. Right. Um, okay. Lindsay says, when driving over a bridge, imagine it collapsing and calculate whether I could swim to safety. Terrifying if kids in car. I don't actually figure out, could I swim to safety? I just think I'm uncomfortable on this bridge. I think about this on planes, um, like when a plane is specifically when you're landing. Right. I used to have like a pretty substantial fear of heights and also planes. Um, this much travel has kind of cured a lot of that because mm-hmm. I'm just on planes so much. But yeah, when as we're landing, I'm always like, no, no, I would still die. No, I would still, no, I would still, oh, <laughs> I bet I could live from here. I can see the house down there. I can see their I right. can see their garage. Cigars, the door's yeah. open. I feel like I can. I feel like I'm gonna make it. Was it just a ton of travel that got you over the fear? Well, I had to work really hard at it um, here in Los Angeles. I'm from Chicago, which is 100 percent flat. Mm-hmm. Like you could just roll a bowling ball from downtown to like just to the end of the earth. I think till it <laughs> fell off. Um, there's nothing there, so. When I moved out here, like driving was it would even be hard sometimes because mm. you get like some address. Everything in LA is just like show up at this address or whatever, and you're like okay, and then it's never somewhere you've been before, right? And sometimes it would be like I would get there and be like, oh my god, oh this is like at the top of what to me feels like a mountain, <laughs> and I can't get there. Like I'd have to park my car and walk up the hill. Um, so I like, started hiking every day, like higher and higher and higher and mm-hmm. higher and. All over Griffith, and I've like kind of cured myself of it. Good work, thank you. There are yeah, there's like one hill, and I wish I, I'm terrible with directions. And by the way, this is for people just in LA, where it's so steep, and then it, the drop is so steep that you can't really see the road as you go over it, and you just have to. Tr- it's like drops down onto the Silver Lake Reservoir, which yeah. I know is, you know what I mean. I totally I. As you're totally driving, know the road that you're talking yes. about. Yes. So you can't see the road anymore and you just have to trust it's there. But you might be driving off the end of the earth. Yeah, yeah. You Yes. Or or, or like into another car. Yes. I hadn't even like thought Like that just that happens one. to be on the right. not right side of the street. Yeah. The end, the, I think the only way yeah. you can do that is to just go very slowly. Yeah. I do at least. Right, right, right. Or and just close your eyes. like right over it, but think about, you know, like the What end. you want to be your final thoughts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, 
Nikki Jean says, and this is the last one, when someone tells me my dog is cute, I always respond with thank you, like I created him from my own genes. Yes, a thousand percent. I do that. (laughs) (laughs) I do take it personally. What is the alternative, though? I think you're making yourself into a weird person. Right. You have to think about the alternative is much weirder. Someone says cute dog and you're like, oh, I didn't have him. (laughs) Right. This isn't, I didn't make this out of my body. Then they would be like, oh, okay. Well, (laughs) yes, that's true. I think the thank you response is normal, but I think taking, like I take pride in it. Yeah. Like as if I had something to do with my dog being cute. But you do kind of, don't you? I don't know. I feel like I have something to do with my dog being cute. Yeah, because I like loved him him. him and cared about him. I don't know. I always hated all animals and pets until I got this dog. And now really? I'm a completely changed woman and I kiss him on the lips. I kiss my dog on the lips. But wait, you hated all dogs and pets? Yes. I didn't grow up in a family that had any pet. I had like a hamster. Mm-hmm. I thought he was cool. But <laughs> I like didn't understand it. Now I'm a vegetarian and I love the shit out of my dog. So people can change. You can totally cure yourself of a pair of heights <laughs> and get a dog. Like in less than four years, you can do that. Yeah. It's inspirational. Um, Cameron, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, I love that applause. It really helps. Uh, it was really nice to <laughs> talk to you. It was good yeah. talking to you as and, well. And huge congratulations on the impending thank you. Uh, expansion of your family. Thank you will you. be absolutely able to take credit for however cute <laughs> That's right. this upcoming baby is. I intend to. You guys, follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. Subscribe, iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen. Jeff, where should we go for you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And Cameron, let them know where to find you and plug everything that you want to plug. Yeah. So I'm at Cameron Esposito. And then Take My Wife is the new show that Rhea and I have on CISO, which is spelled S-E-E-S-O. I'm still spelling it for people because it's phonetically difficult. Um, but you can go to CISO.com or the CISO app. And if you use the promo code Take My Wife, you can get two months free. So you can just watch the show for free and then leave. I don't care. Uh, Yeah. But anyway, take my wife. And the pilot's also on YouTube. Mm -hmm. If you, for some reason, are a young person and you don't have a credit card or something like that. But please let us know what you think. The hashtag is take my wife. Tweet at us and tell us if you like the show. Awesome. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time. But now we gotta go Yeah, Allison Rosen Is your new best friend